Before we get rolling with today's episode, I have a very small favor to ask. If you get any value whatsoever from our episodes of the Enterprise Fitness Podcast, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. You see, our mission here at Enterprise Fitness is to empower as many people as possible with their health, fitness, and training. And we believe the best way to do that is with education. That's why week after week, we continue to put these episodes on and try and jam pack them with as much valuable information as possible. So hope you enjoyed today's show, so much so that you wanna leave us a review. Now let's get into it. I'm gonna talk about some of the theory and philosophies of nutrition now and puts things in frames and perspectives. And this is gonna help you coach a lot of clients in terms of reference points. So this presentation is called Hormones and Calories. The debate ends now. So in nutrition, the two main lenses that people will argue back and forth is the mechanism of a diet works because of calories in versus calories out versus a diet works because of your gut health slash hormones. They're pretty much the two, two vectors of diets that people argue on. And I really feel like nutrition, fitness, we'll say fitness because it's a bigger catch-all phrase. It's like the story of the three blind men and the elephant. So who knows the three blind men and the elephant? One person, right? Basically, a mentor, a guru, gets three blind men and walks them to an elephant and says, I'm gonna explain to you an elephant with your touch. And he gets the first blind man and he puts him to the front and he grabs the, uh, the trunk. And he says, oh, the elephant, it's like a python. It feels like a python. And elephants are like pythons. They're, you know, they're long and they're, you know, they're thick and they're, they're like a python. Walks the second blind man to the side of the elephant and he feels the elephant's belly. And he's like, wow, elephants are like a wall and they can't be moved. They're like incredible big, creatures it's, it feels like a wall and then he moves the third blind man to the rear and puts the tail in his hand and then the third blind man says this is a rope it's skinny it feels exactly like a rope and then he takes the three blind men and says explain to each other what an elephant is one man says it's like a python the second blind man says it's like a wall the third blind man says it's like a rope and they suck getting an argument no you're, you're wrong. What do you mean? It's like a wall. It's exactly like a python. No, it's like a rope. Why are you lying? They become, they get to fisticuffs and it looks like a scene from the WWE ladder match. But what are they all missing? Is they're all technically correct based on their perspective. But the problem with all three of them is they're so close to the elephant that they can't see anyone else's perspective. If you all do this just really quick, right? Everyone just stand up for a sec. And I want you to make a circle, look up, and I want you to make a circle clockwise. So just make a circle clockwise. Look at your finger clockwise. Now bring that down. Keep going circle clockwise, bring it down. Which way is it moving now? Look. Bring all the way down, all the way down. Which way is it moving? Still moving clockwise? Anti-clockwise. Do it again. Everyone move clockwise. Now let's bring our finger down. Which way is it moving? Changes anti-clockwise. Weird, right? You can take a seat. Perspective. Vantage point. How are we looking at the problem? When you're vegan, haven't told anyone in eight minutes. <laughs> the right. two major lenses of nutrition, we spoke before about perspective, just to recap, we did the clockwise, anti-clockwise, hormones and calories. Hormones is the insulin hypothesis 
It's clean, natural foods, the poster child, think of the poster child, the keto diet. Then you have calories, calories in versus calories out. It's the law of thermodynamics. And the poster child is the if it fits your macros approach. So every diet that is popularized in nutrition today falls into one of these two lenses. So think of the hormones, you have paleo, keto, fasting, calorie, cutting food groups, low carb, the anabolic diet, the blood type diet, Atkins, the South Beach diet. Calories is if it fits your macros, weight watches, calorie counting, macro counting, the small plates diet, portion control zone diet, vegetarian and vegan diet, uh, and the Mediterranean diet. That's where the focus is on calories. So the history of this predates of the, the, the hormones uh, rather than calories or history of dieting predates to 1863 with William Banting writing a letter of corpulence, which is basically uh, a letter about a low carb diet resulting in his ability to get his hearing, his sight and his wellness back really. He was fairly obese and Basically, the doctor said stop eating sugar and he lost a whole bunch of weight and his health returned. So then in 1890, 19, around there, William Atwater measured calories in food using caloric oven and ascribed calories to food. Uh, in 1910, the letter of corpulence was deemed unscientific by the medical community. 1911 was the introduction of Crisco, which was really the first really mainstream, heavily influenced food product. 1956 to 1978 was a seven country study. The reason why that's significant is that's where really the demonization of fat became uh, popularized and mainstream with Ansel Keys. In 1972, John Eukin wrote Pure, White and Deadly, which refuted uh, Ansel Keys' stance and that fat was bad and actually carbohydrates are what we should demonize. In 2007, Gary Tabbs wrote the book, Good Calories, Bad Calories, which really tried, took specific aim of calories in versus calories out and presented the insulin hypothesis or probably modernized the insulin hypothesis as the reason for people to gain weight and not calories in versus calories out. And then in 2016, Kevin Hall produced the metabolic ward study, which irrefutably showed being a metabolic ward study that calories in versus calories out has not been refuted. And the insulin hypothesis basically debunked the insulin hypothesis, essentially. And the way it did that, it was a metabolic ward study. Everything was controlled. They gave people isochloric diets, a high carb diet, and a high fat diet. Calories were all equal. Everything was controlled. People who were given the high carb diet lost insignificant, it was insignificant amounts, but lost more weight than the people in the high fat diet. And it was a really well done study that did disprove, fortunately, the insulin hypothesis, the fat loss. So in other words, the insulin theory, the fat loss, the you know, hormones do matter because hormones will optimize your feeling and function, but calories also matter. And the way I, I approach these things, it's not that, it's not that you should refute either because obviously you want to optimize hormones, but you need to respect calories in versus calories out. So the insulin theory, just so we're all caught up with it, the theory that was debunked, the basic premise, if I was to draw it out, is, is this, right? If this is a fat cell, free fatty acids want to be used as energy primarily, and they only get bounded to a triglyceride if the glycerol molecule is present. So you mean glycerol should, glucose should tell you about the word. 
So these, tri these three fatty acids to make a triglyceride, which is the storehouse of fat, needs insulin to be secreted, which then wraps a bow of glycerol around those three fatty acids and then be able to store. So the premise is built on, if you don't spike insulin, then the, the fatty acids that are coming in, the three fatty acids are just gonna be used as energy. It's been disproven. It, yes, but also the reason why those diets work is because fats predominantly have a high degree of satiation and that's why they work. Calories are still controlled when people go, oh, I just eat fat and it's fine. What they're really saying is I found a plan that I can do long-term and helps me control calories. And yes, it may optimize it. That's where the people argue, right? Did it optimize hormones because it's calorie controlled or are there calorie controlled optimizing hormones? It's like catch 22 chicken or the egg because both of those work synergistically. And again, in my opinion, I'll present how I approach it and how I've distilled these things to a workable plan that you can actually use. So this is on the other side, calories in versus calories out. You know, if you wanna lose weight, eat less and burn more basically, right? And it hasn't been refuted, just FYI. So the law of thermodynamics hasn't been refuted, disproven ever. On the other hand, chemical messages in the body in the form of hormones tells the body to store fat. I used to have an analogy that, cause I was a big proponent in the early days of the insulin hypothesis and my thought around that was give someone steroids for example if you give someone testosterone they build muscle and burn fat irrespective of calories except it's not 100 percent true because if you give someone testosterone and steroids their meat their metabolic rate actually increases byproduct so it's still within the realms of calories in versus calories out their, their metabolic rate increase that's why they lost weight so it's not a disproven it's just hormones help our metabolic function better but it's not to disprove calories because it's still a function. Those two things do coexist, but this is where the internet eats itself. So the insulin hypothesis was disproven. So hormones and calories, not hormones or calories. You have the trainer slash practitioner versus the scientist slash researcher. So in my opinion, the trainer slash practitioner, all they want is results. Yeah, they don't really care why something works rather than they just want to know they don't really care how it works they just want it to work so the client gets results the research practitioner wants to know how and why it works and the mechanism so at worst the researcher the, sorry, the trainer is going to cut out whole food groups and overkill in the advice they give so let's say for example if i say cut out all carbs you probably will get results but it's probably overkilling the advice that i'm giving whereas the research practitioner they want to prove without a shadow of a doubt but the problem on their side is it takes so long to prove within a shadow of a doubt. So there is this kind of gray area and we want these two to argue because good coaches and practitioners will have a hunch about things, how something works and maybe not be able to prove it. And years later, you get the study where it was proven. I can't tell you like how many times, like I've had my own experience where I've been like, this works. I don't know exactly why it works, but it works. And then later on, find, oh yeah, there was a recent one on like how to do a chin up correctly. James sent me about Stuart McGill. Shimmer was like a depressed retract. I'm like, I've been teaching that to do chin-ups like that for years. And then anyway, like he, he basically gave his whole explanation about it. I'm like, that's how I teach chin-ups. I've been doing that that way for years. That's what I mean by you want these two to argue because it, make, it pushes everything forward. But just be aware of the limitations. One is very conservative. The other one may be too aggressive. And you want to be in the, the balance of the two. So the cons of a calories in versus calories out diet. I screenshotted this. This was um, someone went to a steak restaurant 
and they weighed exactly how much their steak is, right? The, the truth is, you, if you're eating out a lot, a calories in versus calories out kind of plan, where if, if you're not gonna measure, the point of this slide is, if you're not gonna measure what you're eating, then calories in versus calories out diet approach isn't the best approach in terms because if we distill calories and hormones, we distill these, what are they really? They're approaches that you're gonna take with your clients to diet nutrition, as well as their mechanisms. But if we took it, if it fits your macros approach to a client who doesn't measure and track, it's the wrong approach. We need to optimize. So unless someone's gonna weigh, measure, track their food, it's not gonna be a very usable approach for the client to use. So a lot of clients, even though you're gonna have a lot of freedom and flexibility with, it, with counting macros, unless they're tracking, it's not gonna be favorable for them. So the idea that there's good calories and bad calories still persists. And personally, I think it's reasonable that it does, even though there's a lot of calorie counters and nutritionists who there's no such thing as a bad calorie. Well, which is true because there's no such thing as a bad kilometer because it's a unit of measurement. And I think it's the wrong argument, right? There can be like, I think nutrition is more related to economics than it is to maths. So it's not a, like a one plus one. And because the reality is if you go a kilometer in the wrong direction, then it is a bad kilometer. And if you look at, for example, a calorie from salmon is going to be more nutri nutritious than a calorie from a donut. And this is where, again, if you listen to purists about, oh, there's no such thing as a bad calorie, there is bad calorie. There is better choices of food, even though it's a unit of measurement. I think it's a straw man argument that people present because it's not really what people are saying. You, you definitely can have op optimal choices of food. Again, can you fit food choices inside of a plan? Yes, you can. But again, you're going to have to express control. And it's not like there are pros and cons of both of these things. And a lot of people will just pretend that their side of the fence, there's only pros. Like calorie counting, oh, there's only pros. That's not true. So the debate, what it boils down to is how are you going to use these strategies? And I've got a picture of Braveheart, Mel Gibson, because what does he say in that speech? What does he want? Is everyone, is everyone too young to remember that movie? Does everyone want, everyone seen Braveheart? Not remember Braveheart? No? Okay, Braveheart, he wants freedom, right? Screams out freedom. You're gonna use these strategies. So if you're calorie counting, measure, calculate and count and eat everything, or you're gonna eliminate, select and restrict. And the goal of both of these things is to get more freedom over the food choices, right? That's the ultimate goal, I think, is people want freedom over the food choices. It's how do you achieve, what is the vehicle that you're gonna to use to, to achieve that freedom? What is the approach that you're gonna to use to achieve that freedom? Because too much structure and having to weigh everything can feel like prison. If I give you macros and say your macros for this, it's 150, let's say, right? Whatever, this, these are the macros you gotta eat. And you gotta hit these exact macros every day. Too much structure can feel like prison. Or some people might feel like absolute flexibility and I can eat whatever I want as long as I hit these numbers. The other perspective is if you do that, it might feel like playing with Play-Doh. As in, in theory, Play-Doh can take any shape and be anything you want it to be in imagination. But usually what ends up happening is it becomes a big blob of colors, of nothing. And it's just really hard to manage. And the, the if it fits your macros approach, the last 300 calories, because it's, you don't know what to do with the last 300 calories because it's 4 p.m. and you're still hungry. So it, there's no structure and messy. So if you don't have structure, there's no structure, it can become very messy. So what do we do? We want flexible structure. And think of bamboo. So we don't want our diets to be this iron prison but we also don't want it to be like playing with Play-Doh. Because again, rather I should say, when it becomes a prison, if I give you a meal plan, or let's say if I cut out carbs, let's say you can't eat any carbs, 
then that feels like a prison as well. And again, if you, have, if, if you can eat anything you want, as long as it fits your macros, that can feel like playing like Play-Doh, right? But there is no reason why we can't marry the two and have a flexible structure, have flexibility, but also have structure in what we do. And I think that for most clients is the happy medium that we want to achieve. So examples of flexible structure for clients could be having a set meal time that you wake up each day. Sorry, having a set time you wake up each day, having set meal times, or at least set times in which you can eat each day, having a protein source at each meal, a non-negotiable, have this protein source at each meal, having a set bedtime. Then the interchangeable part could be your fats and carbs, which then there's less for the client to learn. So it's, you can have 100 grams of potato, or you could have 70 grams of rice, or you could have 20 grams of lollies if you really wanted it to, right? The same amount of carbs, let's say in this example, but you can interchange these things. So you can give people these different options, but the point is you still want there to be wrapped some flexibility around that and some structure. Let me keep going because I'm going to answer this, not in this presentation, but in the next one. So just save that question for me. It's a great question. Examples of flexible structure having at least one meal a day that is the same every day that you don't think about. So you might set a breakfast for your client. You might set dinner for, the, for your client. Just say, this is exactly how to do it. Plan what you're gonna eat when you indulge. So set that. Making a rule not to eat off plan when you're angry, lonely, upset, tired, or bored. Having a go-to restaurants or categories of eateries to stick to with your plan. So some examples that you could coach a client on, bakehouses. The reason being is you can always get steak and vegetables or fish and vegetables. It's very easy to eat out at steak places. Sushi and cafe, cafes. You can always get raw fish with or without rice at, at, in Japanese places. Fish or seafood restaurants. They will almost always do salmon with vegetables and salad. Makes it very, very easy. So again, for your clients who are, like we have a lot of business clients, a lot of execs, they eat out a lot. So then it's just, a, it's coaching them on because they're not going to bring the scale. Like I have an example of bringing scales to their restaurant. They're not gonna bring the scales to the restaurant, oh, sorry, can I weigh that? Pick a protein, pick a vegetable. Easy, people can stick to that. It's an easy implementation. Modern Mexican places, like I know like Fonda, which offer burrito bowls or salads, you probably have to order it without cheese because usually they put a lot of cheese on these things just to help calorie control. Sauces and other additional items that might not fit the plan. But you can educate clients on these things. I interrupt this podcast to give you a very special message. December, we are running an Elite Results Bootcamp. What is the Elite Results Bootcamp? It is a three-day bootcamp where we teach our systems around strength, hypertrophy, and fat loss. It is intense. There are six workouts over the three days, and our trainers not only spill the beans on all the techniques, methods, systems that we use to get next-level results, we take you through actual workouts so you can experience in real time. If you're a client, if you're someone who's interested in Enterprise Fitness, or if you're a trainer looking to level up, check out our course, Enterprise Fitness Academy, and click on Elite Results. The other thing is you always gotta marry up the context with the content. The other thing you gotta think about is who is the client? For example, a flexible diet might be the perfect thing for a 20-something-year-old female who's looking to compete, who has time to track their food, measure everything out, weigh it, do their field, meal prep and you know, they wanna eat chocolate every night and they just simply make it hit their macros every night. Awesome, cool, absolutely, more power to it, right? Or is it an overweight client who's always struggled with diet their whole life and they have an unhealthy relationship with food? So the way I coach that person is behaviors. I'm not gonna get them to count food because it's gonna bring up a lot of very negative emotions with that client. Or is it the, business busy, or is it the busy business exec who really doesn't give a fuck 
who just wants to do everything in a very time efficient manner. Actually, for him, I might introduce him to a food prep company where he can literally deliver, but I tell him, you're gonna eat these foods because he hasn't got any mental stuff that he's dealing with. It's just time. He needs to manage his time better. So you've gotta look at it in the context of who is the client? Because again, whether we argue we should be doing calories, we should be doing macros, we should be doing food plan, these are just approaches. And approaches ultimately come down to the people that we're coaching. There's nothing special about the approach. It's as, this is another analogy uh, or a, meta, a, a framework that you can use is are you working with a baker, a cook, or a chef? Let me explain. So a cook, what's the difference between cooking and baking? Really, baking is mathematics, right? So let's just say we're baking a cake. If I put in too much flour, like I put in a kilo of flour, and I put in, I don't know, 20 mils of water, is that gonna be enough water to mix the flour? There's no way, right? My cake's not gonna rise. It's gonna be a bowl of dust. What if I put a liter of water and a teaspoon of flour? Oh, it's not gonna be much of a cake either, right? There's exact amounts in an exact formula. It's formulaic and it has to be done in the, in the right instruction. So am I working with someone who's very calculated, who likes sets of instructions? Are they a baker in the way they think? For that person, maybe flexible diet is the very thing where they feel absolute freedom. I can eat any foods that I want as long as I calculate. Or are you more of a cook? You're a big picture person. You have fun. It's like, yeah, if I add a little bit of chicken, salt, oh, what type of stir fry? I can add beef, I can add fish. I like this vegetable. I'll use this spice. I'll put too much of this. I'll put something else in there to balance out the meal, right? Cooking is a lot more free flowing. It's a lot more big picture. So are you working with a, a baker, a chef or a cook? And a cook is someone who's had some experience and they know what works for them. And they can interchange between the two, but you need to respect that they already have pre-existing knowledge and they're not so much looking for you to tell them what to do as to help add value to what they already do. So think about these frameworks when you are working with a client. And it does, again, come down to content of what your, your content of what you're saying cannot be divorced from context. And this is the thing that shits me so much about social media because you have folks like, say, Lane Norton, who's definitely on the side of calories in versus calories out versus someone like he makes memes about them all the time. What's his name? Mark Hyman, who talks about hormones and all this kind of stuff and who's got a different demographic. But if you look at their messages fundamentally, their messages are designed for the people that they're serving, but you're getting sound clips. And both of them are very, they're very smart, both of them. There's no discredit to either of them. Both very smart, but in their sound clips, you can't divorce the context, the content of what they're saying to the context of what they're saying. But when you're coaching, it's all about context and content. You can't divorce the two. And the frame that I give you is imagine if builders argued the difference between the value of a hammer and a screwdriver. You have a building sec. No, a hammer is better. No, a screwdriver is better. No, a hammer is better. No, a screwdriver. Are you nailing a, a nail? Use a hammer. Are you screwing something? Use a screwdriver. Simple as that. Context versus content. Our client will always be the context. We need to choose what content we need to fill up their cup. And again, to a person with a hammer, everything will look like a nail. We want to be aware of that. In nutrition, this was the model that many accept. I've chosen not to accept this model. They talk about the pyramid of priority, the pyramid of priority of nutritional habits. You know, at the base, and look, it's not necessarily wrong. I just think it's incomplete. At the base is calories. Then you have macros, micronutrients, meal timing, and supplements in terms of order of priorities. Then supplements, the last thing you want to add in, getting your calories right first. I don't like this model because it's hierarchical in the sense that you have to focus on calories first. I think it gives the wrong impression to clients, even though there is merit to it. But I think as a framework to work with clients, 
it leaves a lot to be desired. How I've ch changed this up, the model that I've used and created is the enterprise lifestyle wheel. And notice that's a lifestyle wheel because I think for most of the clients that we train is nutrition fits within our lifestyle. It's not an isolated variable. We have total calories. Absolutely total calories are important and need to be checked if we want to have success. Not to say it's not, it's absolutely important, but it's not the only thing. And notice how it's also a circle because I want to acknowledge that these areas interrelate. It's not that you have to do calories first and gut health second and food quality third and sleep fourth. No, let's work on all of these because in this case, it's that effect of one plus one won't equal two. One plus one will equal 10,000. When we work on all of these areas, we have a synergistic effect where people actually do change their life. There is no reason why I can't give someone a calorie control plan and help them improve their sleep. Because if I help them improve their sleep, they're gonna have more willpower, more focus to actually not eat, overeat. If you're sleep deprived, it's shown, you're probably gonna overeat, you're gonna make bad choices. So why wouldn't I wanna address this with the client and make them eat? Likewise, if I help you and coach you to eat better foods and I cut out the crap or the quote unquote bad calories, the sugar, the shit, that is calorie dense, and I get you to eat foods that are nutritionally dense and calorie void, say, celery, broccoli, vegetables, fruits, meat, for example, then guess what? Your calories are gonna control themselves, for the most part. You're not gonna overeat, you're gonna feel more satiated. Total calories are important, addressing gut health issues. If you're not pooping once or twice a day, that's a massive issue. We need to talk about that. If I'm coaching you on nutrition, and you don't poop, we got problems. If you're bloated, if you hate your food, if you feel uncomfortable every time you eat, we got problems, massive problems, because that becomes the obstacle for you losing weight and optimizing your body composition. So we need to include that. We need to have that discussion with our client. Then we talk about food quality, and food quality is very simple. When we optimize our food quality, it's gonna help us calorie control. It's gonna help us with gut issues. Lifestyle, we can have lifestyle stress, as in relationship, work, finances. We can have, they're the main ones, then other stresses are physical, are you overtraining? Sleep obviously is a, is a huge factor in that as well in terms of resetting your brain, but also things like malnutrition, also things like malnutrition and also foods that may inflame. So if you have a sensitivity to gluten or it's offending the gut, that's also gonna be problematic as well. So training, are you training? Are you getting your steps in? That needs to be part of it. And often when we train, we feel better about ourselves, which makes us wanna to stick to the diet. It makes us wanna eat better. If we do a great workout, I don't know anyone who does a great workout, and so I'm just gonna, gonna pig out now and eat chocolate cake. No, most people who have a great workout, they get motivated to eat better. So we want to factor that in as well. Macronutrients are certainly important. We got to prioritize protein. Most of our clients won't be eating enough protein. We want to make sure that we're hitting protein goals. Regardless of whether they're a vegan, vegetarian, carnivore, we've got to set a protein goal. And sleep, I've said this before, but we're designed for six to eight, or really seven to eight hours. And you can measure your sleep. I like to use an aura ring. Sleep is a whole other presentation of itself. I can talk a lot about sleep. But we need to factor in sleep with our clients too because their recovery is dependent upon it. Mental health, their psychology, their psychological health is dependent upon it, which is going to help them. And again, it's going to help them with willpower and stickiness points to stick to the diet and make better decisions. If we deprive people of sleep, they're going to have worse. So for me, sleep is one of those things that's an easy win and I want to address that with the client. So it's not a matter of which one comes first. It's a matter of me sitting down with the client and understanding What's the constraint? What's the biggest constraint? What's the linchpin that's gonna move you forward the fastest? Because for any one person, maybe sleep is the thing that changes their life. Maybe it is calories. Maybe it's gut health, focusing on that. Maybe it's lifestyle, maybe it's training. But if I can address a little bit in each area, I know I'm gonna get a big result.
Consequently, I always like to present the reverse. So the reverse in this case is the brakes. So if that's the wheel, if they're the things that make the things spin faster, what are the brakes? What are the, the issues that are gonna prevent people from getting their goal? Gut health. If you ain't pooping, you ain't getting results. If you're constipated, bloated, you hate your food, you ain't getting results. If you've got food intolerances, you ain't getting results. Anything gut health related is gonna be a massive constraint. The only way to really address gut health properly, if someone does have chronic gut health issues, is to get a stool test. Can you just turn it down? Hemming, it's a bit loud, can you turn it down? Can you turn it down? So gut health is, is definitely something we need to address because it's gonna be a constraint, it's gonna be a break. Stress, so I define stress as five ways. We have lifestyle stress, as I said before, foods you eat, say gluten, soy, dairy, things that can inflame the gut. Malnutrition is a stress. Low levels of toxicity can be a stress to the body, like mercury. And also then we have inflammation. And the last one, food you eat, overtraining can definitely be a stress. If you're like running a marathon, for example, training for a marathon, certainly a stress. Right? And again, a problem well stated is a problem half solved. So when someone says to me, I'm stressed, quote unquote, I don't accept that as a frame because it's just way too vague. What do you mean by stress? We need to put, it is helpful to put labels on things. Like if you ever have someone who's really angry at you, one of the best things you could say is, you seem really angry at me. Why? It labels it and then they feel acknowledged. When dealing in conflict, actually it's helpful to label things. In this case, it's also helpful. Malnutrition, I've already covered. Malnutrition is certainly stress. Most of your clients are gonna come in malnutrition, by the way. As in, they're not eating enough protein. They're not eating enough micronutrients. They're not getting the macronutrients. They're not eating enough carbs. We had Helen, you'd say, hang on, why isn't she losing weight? She was on 800 calories. Her body had adapted to 800 calories. She was eating less and less, sleeping less and less. Her body, and you think of this like from a metabolic point of view. Think of a Prius. Everyone know what I mean, a Prius? A Toyota Prius, it's an electric car. Very fuel efficient. Think of a, a V8, it burns, burns fuel really fast. From a metabolic point of view, you don't want to be the Prius. The Prius is the old folks in the old home. Their metabolism is very efficient. It's slow burning, slow to turn over. Cellular the turnover time is very slow. We want things to turn over fast. So when someone's metabolism starts to ramp down, they're running systems with less calories. No, we want to be inefficient in the way we run. We want to burn through food. We want to need food. We want nutrients. We want the body to use things, turn over things, turn over ourselves, heal ourselves, heal our bones, muscle protein. We want that to happen. That's a sign of health. When we look at malnutrition, we want to make sure we, we're, we're nourishing the body to be able to heal, process, and ultimately build and recover. Overcalorie consumption is certainly stress. It can lead to uh, inflammation and certainly a whole host of other issues like obesity, diabetes. So we, we need to think about it. We don't want our clients obviously eating too much. Sleep, we've already spoken about that's going to be a constraint. Toxicity is going to be a constraint. And a sedentary lifestyle. If someone just sits in their office all day, every day, and then goes home and the existence is basically four bo one box to the next box. Get up, one box to the next box. That's gonna have an impact on their overall mental health and well-being, and obviously physical function as well. So we need to, that's gonna be a constraint too. So look at these as constraints. In saying all this, I want you to look at that wheel and I want you to rate it yourself now. Rate yourself in those seven areas on the Enterprise Fitness Lifestyle Wheel. A 10 is a perfect score, a one is a terrible score. So the areas, if we go back, total calories, gut health, food quality, lifestyle, training, macronutrients, and sleep. 
rate yourself in each area out of one to 10. So let's just do this as an example, right? You go to sleep and you rate your sleep, I don't know, a six. Ask the question, what could I do to improve my sleep? What could I do? Now, you, knowledge-wise, you might not know what to do. So you might say, next step is to ask questions. How could I improve my sleep? Easy. Gut health. You might say, I've got gut issues. Maybe the step is to do a stool test. Work with, an, I've got a great naturopath, Christine, who can help you at walexia.com.au. I can put you in contact, who can organize all the functional testing side of things for you. So what's your food quality like? Are you paying attention to food quality? What is your training like? Rated in each area. If you work on these areas, your overall health will improve. And the physical results you get will be a byproduct of that. You can write this down. Healthy people look good, but there are a lot of people who look good that aren't healthy. Body composition follows health. Health doesn't follow body composition. Oh, hi there. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. While I've still got you, why not check out our book, www.enterprisediet.com today and grab your copy.